You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. It's a shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, it's Lauren Lee Chen, and it's always great to have you here with us. As you know, the Thunder made a big splash this offseason, adding two stars in Carmelo Anthony and Paul George to bolster a squad centered around last season's most valuable player, Russell Westbrook. Sadly for Thunder fans, There have been quite a bit of growing pains trying to integrate that new core together so far this season. On Saturday, fresh off their first win against a Western Conference opponent, having beaten the Los Angeles Clippers the night before, we caught up with Andrew Schlecht, host of the Down to Dunk podcast, OKC Dream Team podcast, and contributor to DailyThunder.com. When Andrew was in college, he once collected 535 jars of peanut butter as part of a Feed the Children fundraiser organized by Shaquille O'Neal. For collecting the most jars, he won a signed jersey, a flyout to see a Spurs Suns game in Phoenix, and of course, a meeting with the Big Cactus himself. Hey, it's great to have you on, Andrew. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, glad to be on, guys. Yeah, it's a good time to talk about the Thunder, I think. They've had some struggles to start the season so far. Before Friday night's win against the Clippers, they had lost four straight and all six of their games against the Western Conference. So far, how are you feeling about the team's performance this season? Uh, I think you're probably being pretty kind, saying they've had some struggles. Uh they really haven't had much of an identity yet as an offensive team. They're, I guess their true identity so far has been a defensive team that really isolates heavily with their stars. And we saw them deviate from that some last night. This is what the team has been so far. They've been able to put together really good quarters. You look at the first quarter in Sacramento, first quarter in Denver. Uh, they're moving the ball. They're running sets. They're doing everything Billy Donovan wants them to do. And then eventually that stuff falls apart. And last night was better than it had been, but you still kind of saw the offense sputter at times where, you know, Paul George goes out, Mello and Westbrook are back in, Mello takes an ISO jumper, misses. Uh, Then the Clippers go down, like hit a three or something. And they come back and Mello isolates for two possessions in a row. And then all of a sudden the Clippers are back in the game. And I honestly thought it was kind of hilarious for, for the Thunder that, when they passed the ball and moved, they hit shots. And then when they isolated, they missed. And so I thought it was like a really good, like the basketball gods were like saying to this team, like, please stop doing this so much because it's not good for you. It's not good for your team. There needs to be more ball movement, player movement as Billy Donovan continues to preach to the team. But they're just figuring it out. There's been some frustration for sure. Uh, but I think what's been good is that it's not like frustration directed at each other there's still a pretty good vibe within the locker room between those big three. And they seem to enjoy playing together um, even through this kind of bad stretch. And I mean, the locker room was, was super happy last night after a win, which is pretty obvious, but it's been a strange start to the season for them, but kind of expected whenever you overhaul the roster like they did. Ray, um, how long do you think these struggles would have to continue before you're thinking shifts from being 
Like these are the natural stumbles given the difficulty of integrating two huge new pieces like Carmelo and Paul George versus like if they keep going on for much longer, are you going to start panicking? You know, I think like the 20 to 25 game mark, if they still, you know, look like they did the past four games last night again, I thought that they played a lot better. If they continue to be like that 25 games in, then I think you can say, you know what, there's something that is certainly not working and you know they may look to make a trade or make some kind of move with the roster. But overall, there doesn't seem to be any worry or panic within the team at all. They're still pretty casual about everything. Uh, and then as like a fan and somebody who's watching them, you kind of you just have to wait. These teams evolve so much over the course of a season. Even a team that has like some continuity will evolve over a season. So there's not a lot of worry. The team has a ton of talent. They've got talent on both sides of the ball. And so you, you think they're going to put it together. And uh, luckily, there's really besides the Warriors and the Rockets, there's nobody that's so far ahead of them in the Western Conference that, you know, the, the four or three seed are out of reach. Uh, so they have that on their side, and they also have a favorable schedule coming up. So I think they'll be okay. But about 20, 25 games in, if they haven't got it figured out, then you can start to worry. And I mean, a lot of the stats we're going to be bringing up over the course of this show, they're going to be skewed, obviously, by such a small sample size. We're only a little bit more than 10 games into the season, but Focusing on something that seems to be going well for the Thunder, they have the second best defensive efficiency in the league, trailing only the Celtics. It was a strength of theirs last season as well when they ranked 10th in the NBA. What's been so effective for the defense so far? I think Steven Adams has been a huge part of that. He didn't play last night. And as somebody who covers the Thunder, you kind of worry about their defense falling off. But it didn't because they also have strong wing defenders. And also the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers had really two guys that you had to worry about. I guess three with Lou Williams. But they aren't as dynamic offensively as they are with Gallo and Patrick Beverly and guys like that. So it was it was kind of a, a weird game overall. But uh, Steven Adams has been fantastic at defending the rim, not only blocking shots, but Uh, verticality plays and just keeping guys away from the basket he's been really good at that Uh, Andre Robertson who is probably on paper their best defender has had a really strange start last night he probably he probably had one of his best games last night uh, as a rebounder and as an on-ball defender he was really good but the Thunder are who they have been you know over the course of even 10 years is that they have a lot of length and athleticism and they like to be disruptive. And Russell Westbrook's good at that at times, and sometimes that's good and bad for the team, but they continue to be a long, athletic, disruptive team on defense, and now they have that elite talent that they didn't have last year, and uh, that's come together pretty easily. I'd like to dive now more deeply into the dynamic of this new big three on the Thunder. Seems to me one of the central issues plaguing the team just how they work together on the court. Um, So the 25 minutes that those three shared the court together last night were really, really good. Paul George just went off, and he shared the ball too. He wasn't just scoring, had seven assists. The ball was whipping around. They were finding Abrinas in the corner. It was beautiful, as you were saying, and the basketball gods were uh, rewarding them. But a lot of the numbers do not look good, especially if, you don't include last night in your sample. 
with those three on the court before last night they had a negative 0.7 net rating the number doesn't matter exactly so few games in but talk to us a little bit about just all these isolations and how they can hope to avoid isolating so often moving forward i think one thing that is in their favor if there's anything to take anything good to take from the losses that they've had is that they've relied heavily on isolation in all of their losses and i think that they can look at all of those and say like wow like that did not work the ball did not move and basically if you could not create your own shot or if your name wasn't steven adams you weren't going to touch the ball for any meaningful time uh, and that's not good for this team they're trying to work it out. And I think a part of the problem is whenever a guy like Carmelo or Paul George or even Russell Westbrook get the ball on the wing and they're single covered, they think, let's cook. And, you know, those three guys haven't had a situation like that in a long time where they just have one guy to beat. And in their minds, and they even, they'll even say this, that they feel like they're getting good shots. But Billy continues to preach ball movement, player movement. And last night, it's really easy to tell the stark contrast between what happened on isolation possessions versus possessions where they're running off screens or doing pin downs for Paul George, uh, or even just a simple cut from Andre Robertson. Just a simple cut for this team makes all the difference. Uh, but there's still a lot of possessions where they're just standing around. Uh, and that's the, that's the biggest problem for this team is the standing around and watching no, no movement within the offense. And, and that happens a lot. And, it's a symptom of just these guys learning how to play together and also learning that player movement really does matter. And mm-hmm. I think that really sunk in with Paul George. He talked a lot about it post game last night. And, you know, I, I, I think that they're going to start to figure it out. The, the progress is not going to be linear with them. You know, they have the Mavs and the Bulls coming up and obviously those are two of the worst teams in the NBA. So there's not going to be a lot to take from those games, but, I think what you can take is if there's more player movement and there's more involvement and even guys like Abrinas getting more shots and more touches, I think that that's, uh, that's a good thing for OKC. Another thing I noticed too, and Paul George's assists certainly helped in this regard, when those three share the court together of the Thunders' um, 10 most used lineups, they have the second worst assist percentage. But just after last night alone, it went up almost two percentage points which is a lot, I think, just after one game. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be really important. Way easier said than done, of course. But they're sharing the shot distribution, though. The number of shots, do you think that's okay? It's just how they're getting those shots that needs to be tweaked? Uh, I think it's weird, to be honest, like that the number is like so balanced. Because if you, if you watch them through the first 11 games, you thought, they are like calculating almost in their head. Okay, now Carmelo Anthony has had five shots and, you know, Russ has had this many and we need to get Paul George this many so that we can all be equal and we can be an equal big three. That's kind of how it felt. And it's not like, let's share the ball. Let's move. Who's hot? Who's not? Just play basketball. It felt like very much your turn, my turn, like to the worst degree that it could be. And I think last night should be more indicative of what they should look like is that they should go to the guy who looks good and who is hitting shots. And then somebody's got to take a backseat. And the guy who I think has to take a backseat is Carmelo Anthony. And he did that last night. And he said post game that he better defer to Paul George, especially in moments like that. 
And so he's not like an unwilling guy to take that backseat. But overall, I think that Russell Westbrook and Paul George need more shots than Melo. I think that's pretty simple. And I don't think that equal shot distribution is necessarily the best thing for for this team when you have a guy like Paul George who could do something like he did last night and even a guy like Russell Westbrook who on any given night can put up 40 or 50 points. Uh, I just don't know that Melo's that guy anymore. I think that he's best served as a guy that can you know, create a little bit if he's with the second unit, which they've taken him away from that role. But then also a spot-up three-point shooter. He's been one of the most elite spot-up three-point shooters in the NBA over the past few years, and he has been so far this season as well. And if they can use him that way as a floor spacer, as a spot-up three guy, and then a guy that can even dribble in and put pressure on the defense, I think that that's a better role, taking you know 10 to 12 shots instead of 17 to 20 shots. So far, how would you assess Billy Donovan's substitution patterns? And I'm talking particularly about how he's balancing those three star players' minutes. Yeah, I mean, Billy Donovan in the regular season is he's kind of strange. He wants to get a look at almost everything. And so he's going to, as far as like substitution patterns with those three, he's tried so many different things to start the season. There's not been any real consistency. You know, he had. Carmelo primarily with the second unit for the first few games and the last couple of games. He's tried that with Paul George, and I think he just wants to see how that works. You know, in the next five games, we could see that with Russell Westbrook, where they sub him out early. Um, as far as how he's handled it, to me, he's just kind of been Billy, and it's not been good or bad at this point because I don't feel like he's found anything that like truly works with these three yet. So I think that he's just figuring things out and he's this is what Billy Donovan does. And that's what he's done the past few seasons is that he just gets as many looks as he can before he can really figure out what what is best for this team. And I think he made a really nice adjustment last night. He had Paul George with the second unit, but for some reason, Raymond Felton and Jeremy Grant decided that they're going to run the show. And it made no sense. It was one of the most infuriating things that I've seen for this letter team this season is that you had Paul George and Alex Abrinas parked in opposite corners. And then you have Raymond Felton and uh, Jeremy Grant running a pick and roll. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Uh, He called the timeout. The ball stayed in Paul George's hands for the remainder of the game on the second unit. And I thought that it's a very obvious adjustment, but still an adjustment that was made. So uh, overall, Billy, he's had kind of an up and down 12 games. Fans here are calling for his job on a daily basis. So uh, I don't think I think that's obviously a huge overreaction. I think that he's a good NBA coach, but it's going to take time as it's going to take time with this team. You know, Billy Donovan really takes his time and getting a sample size on as many looks as he can. Mm-hmm. even to the point where he is willing to lose games just to see what he's got, um, which can be really frustrating for fans. It was a really special moment, I'm sure, for the franchise right before the season when Russell Westbrook signed that five-year, $200-plus contract extension. So he'll be in town for a while now. We've talked about this a little bit, but if you can just help us understand a little bit better the adjustments that he's made to his game in particular. His MVP season was like no other we've seen in modern history. Obviously, now he's had to change his game a lot with these two new stars now in Oklahoma City. Yeah, yeah, Russ, he's he's trying. I'll say that. He's really trying to 
adjust his game for these two. He obviously has a ton of respect for Carmelo Anthony and for Paul George, and he wants them to be involved. And last night, you know, he really handed over the reins to Paul George, which I thought was a really good sign for Russ. But he's been completely hit or miss so far this season. He has had some really bad games. That game against Denver, he was atrocious with the way he defended and the way that he, you know, his shot selection was really bad and, you know, kind of similar game in Sacramento. He's really trying to figure things out within the offense. And I guess the good thing is that he is trying to do it in a way where he's including others. I just don't think that he has gotten to the right process yet uh, where he's really leveraging his talent to help make others better. Overall, he's trying and he's willing to share the ball. He's willing to to let Mello or Paul George go off on any given night. So I think that that, that overall is a really good thing for the Thunder. But um, he hasn't really found that rhythm yet. And obviously, the, the free throw shooting, too, has been a weird thing for him. He is shooting 60% from the free throw line, only five attempts per game. And to me, that's like been the weirdest thing for him. And I, I haven't been able to verify this and no one will probably tell me, but I still wonder if he's like 85, 90% with his knee. Uh, and and that, could, that could be an issue. It's not just as you mentioned that his free throw percentage is so uncharacteristically low, but the attempts are almost half of what they were last season. So that's definitely disappointing. I thought one thing that was encouraging with the game against the Clippers on Friday night was that he was getting into the passing lanes and really Mm -hmm. taking advantage of some of the Clippers' miscues and just using his athleticism and explosiveness in the open court. So that doesn't necessarily relate to the half-court offense. It doesn't. But I just think that that helps the Thunder so much as a whole when he can do that early and often in the game. Yeah, he finally kind of looked like Russell Westbrook last night, especially in the first quarter there when he had a couple steals and those like monster dunks and the Chesapeake Arena was just going nuts. So that was re- that was fun to see him kind of get back in that and he's yelling at the crowd and he showed that explosion. And I thought what was good is that he showed that explosion. He showed the ability to go get his shot at the rim and he still was able to defer to Paul George when it mattered most. So I thought that overall Russ played a really, really good game last night. He did, he did have, and these, and these are like the, you, you live with Russ and you die with Russ. Like you live with Russ in the first quarter when he's, you know, getting in passing lanes and, you know, having spectacular dunks. And then you die with Russ whenever, you know, in the fourth quarter, he just completely leaves Sundarius Thornwell to go try to steal the ball, leaves him wide open and Thornwell hits a three. And I think, I think that put the game within three points. That's kind of good Russ, bad Russ on a nightly basis. We'll be right back to talk more Thunder with Andrew Schlecht after the break. This is Colin Ward-Henninger from CBSSports.com, and this is On the NBA Beat. Welcome back to the show. So, Andrew, next offseason, Paul George has a big decision ahead of him. Obviously, a lot of stuff left to happen in this season, but right now, what's your understanding of What needs to happen for the Thunder in terms of wins, in terms of team dynamic or anything else to entice Paul George to want to re-sign with the Thunder long term, as opposed to, say, as rumored in a lot of places, heading to Los Angeles or somewhere else? I think it's all about playoff success. He seems to be really enjoying himself with this team. He seems to really like 
playing with Russ and Mello and he and Jeremy Grant seemed to be pretty close last night. And he seems to really like being with this group. He's, he's very relaxed guy. He seems really chill. Uh, he loves to fish. He's taken a group of kids to go fishing on Monday, you know, and I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Oklahoma. There's not a ton of stuff to do here, but fishing is one of them <laughs> and he likes to fish. So, uh, but overall I think it's all comes down to playoff success. Like what happens? Do they get, they lose in the second round, you know, in five games, then I think that the decision might be a little bit easier for him. But if they make it to the Western Conference Finals and go out in like six games, then I think that there's a good chance that he runs it back with the Thunder. Maybe not for like a full like five year max deal, but maybe even like a two year deal. That's just like, OK, well, let's let's try this again and see what happens. And but yeah, it's it's so early to speculate with George on that. But I think at the end of the day, it will come down to playoff success and how these guys come together. I don't know that record will necessarily matter, um, although it, the seeding will matter at the end of the day with how they get to the West Finals because I don't think mm-hmm. they have a chance to beat the Warriors in the playoffs. Uh, so they need to get that three seed to avoid them or you know f- fall all the way back to, to some place where I maybe maybe the record would matter at that point. But I think it's playoff success. Yeah, and, and you mentioned... Uh, how Westbrook's free throw attempts are down significantly this season. It's the same for Paul George. He was only shooting 2.5 free throws per game before he reached the line 15 times against the Clippers. Is there something about the team's composition, you think, or the way the team plays that has changed sort of his style of playing in terms of attacking the rim? He seemed to be kind of blending in more so than anything and trying to pick his spots and he took a ton of mid-range jumpers and a ton of threes to start the season and I mean as you guys know if you're taking mid-range jump shots and taking threes and that's really all you're doing you're not going to get to the free throw line and that's been the biggest problem with the big three as far as getting to the line is that there hasn't been that aggressiveness to get to the rim uh, really for any of them. And so it was nice to see Paul George do that, especially whenever he was at the second unit to try to keep them afloat while Russ and uh, Mello were on the bench. So it was nice to see him put that kind of game together. I think that, you know, Russ can follow suit. You know, Russ can get to the free throw line. Obviously, he got there on average 10 times a game last year. But it's been a problem. It's been a big problem for the Thunder is that they have three guys that could foreseeably live at the free throw line, but they haven't been because they've been taking too many long twos. They've been taking too many three-point shots. So I think that's something that they're going to fix. Billy talked about that last night. That's not something that he's worried about. It's something that's going to just work itself out. And last night it did with Paul. Yeah, I think that'll be important for them. It's it's basically easy points. And also we have to assume that Westbrook will be around 80% at least from the line as he's been eight of mm-hmm. the nine years he's been in the league or something like that and seven straight. Uh, one other thing though, you touched upon this earlier and I wanted to spend a little bit more time on it. So when they've won with the exception of the Clippers victory, they've won pretty handily. And all their losses, for the most part, have been really narrow. I think there might have been one that wasn't close. Utah. Yeah. Utah was not close. Yeah, but they have so many narrow losses. And I think someone from the outside might think that speaks to an inherent flaw in their late game offense, just stagnation that we've Mm -hmm. seen in the past, sometimes from Russell Westbrook-led teams, where they're just not working together 
collectively and there are a lot of isolations late kind of like people say hero ball or whatever and i don't think the numbers matter because the sample size is so low but clearly in clutch minutes they have struggled mightily they only have five total team assists during that time in crunch time situations and two of those five came against the clippers is it kind of a combination you think of bad luck and also a serious issue with their late game offense? Uh, as far as like being a serious issue, I'm not ready to call it that. Uh, but I do think it's just a, a symptom of who these guys have been throughout their careers. And these are the guys that get the ball at the end of the game. And Russ was, was that guy over and over again with great success last season. Carmelo Anthony has been a guy that's taken a lot of last second shots and the same for Paul George and they have not figured out how to leverage their talent to help each other in the clutch. The defense has also been really bad in clutch time as well, and that hasn't helped. But then like you have things like the Andrew Wiggins banker you know, at the end of the game where he's throwing it up from half court makes it and it's like okay like what do you that's that's really good luck and then you know paul Millsap in denver you know the game's within three the thunder feel like they're fighting back paul Millsap gets an and one on like an isolation two-pointer and you know, like there's some luck there too and so it's hard to put that all on the thunder because these guys are even though like isolation is like maybe like the in the mind of like really any, any NBA analyst these days, like that's supposed to be like the worst thing in the world, but the Thunder have three guys that are actually really good at creating their own shot. And especially if they're single coverage, like those guys, that's going to come in handy come playoff time. And they're going to use isolation. I mean, if you just look at the NBA playoffs, there's at the end of games, there's a lot of isolation. It's because you want to get the ball in the guy's hands that uh, is your best player. And so, I think that eventually it will help the Thunder to have these guys that can create their own shot, but there needs to be at least, you know, some kind of screening off ball movement. That's whenever the Thunder are at their best and it it still can result in an isolation shot, but the standing around uh, makes it really easy for the help defenders to come over. And that happened a lot over the course of the first 11 games. And so I think that they are aware of the problem. They want to fix the problem. Even Dakari Johnson got in on the phone last night for that, which was really interesting. His first start, right? Uh, his first start, his first like real NBA minutes. <laughs> we didn't know that he was going to start until you know about five minutes before the game started. My first thought when I saw his name there in the starting lineup, I thought, uh, wow, is DeAndre Jordan going to have a 2020 game tonight? I thought that he was just going to smash Dakari Johnson, but Dakari's good. He played solid. He you know played... Uh, within himself and set good screens and kept DeAndre away from the basket. He was pretty good. But overall, the Thunder, yeah, they've really struggled in crunch time situations. And I think that's, it's an easy thing to point out uh, as a as a problem for them. But symptomatically, it's just a problem that they have overall, just the way that they play together. And they're working it out. Understandably, the vast majority of fans associate the Thunder with Russell Westbrook or to a lesser extent, Paul George or Carmelo Anthony. But I think the supporting cast will be really important this season for Oklahoma City. Some guys mm-hmm. haven't done very well at all, like Patrick Patterson. I'm, I'm curious why he struggled so much, if you have an answer. And Alex Abrinas is a guy who he hasn't really been shooting too well, but 
they moved the ball, got him in positions to succeed, and he was shooting it well from outside Friday night. I guess it's just more of like an open-ended question on their supporting cast and what certain guys need to be doing better or how to get those guys in better positions to succeed so that it's not just they're so heavily relying on the big three. Yeah, something that was really weird is that they came into the season with three guys coming off the bench, or I guess one of these guys is a starter. Two guys coming off the bench, one guy's a starter, uh, who all had PRP injections in their knees. And Patrick Patterson missed most of training camp, as did Alex Abrinas. And I think that getting off to that kind of start for those guys has been tough. And then Andre Robertson, we didn't know he had a PRP in his knee, but he did. And we're not even sure what it was for. But he ended up having one over the summer, and he started the season really slow as well. And, and Abrinas told Brett Dawson of the Oklahoman a couple of days ago that he just doesn't feel right yet. And I think that that's a big part of it for him. Also, whenever there's no ball movement, no player movement, Alex Abrinas doesn't touch the ball because he doesn't. They don't rely on him to create his own shot, even though he can a little bit. Uh, but he he's not going to. He's more of a ball mover. He's looking for the best shot for this team. And prior to the Clippers game and the three games before that, he only had four total shots. And for a guy who can be one of the better shooters in the NBA, that's not good. And so last night, he he got plenty of shots. The guys are making the second pass, and it was getting to Abrinas wide open. And he was, I think it was three of four last night from three. He had a nifty drive last night as well. I think that he's going to be really important for the Thunder moving forward. Uh, Robertson looked to be uh, rounding into shape last night with his defense and his rebounding. And then Patrick Patterson still hasn't played well. I think that he looks a lot better than he did at the beginning of the season as far as just moving around the court and uh, his ability to get out on like a wing or something like that. He looks he looks fine. Uh, he's just not hitting his shots. And if you watch Patterson with the Raptors, that's that's Patrick Patterson. He's streaky. He's going to be super cold at some points in the season. It'll be hot in others. So I think that his game will come around. I'm not worried about him. But uh, it's just been a process to get these really core role players up to speed without a training camp. I think that that's, that's rough on those kind of guys. Yeah, unsurprisingly, Adams is the only non-big three player who's averaging more than 8.6 points per game mm-hmm. and I don't think they need a lot of points from the other guys they just they need efficiency smart play I would say but um, Raymond Felton he's looked good to me to what extent do you agree with that yeah I think you know last night he had probably his worst game with the Thunder but he's generating good shots for the second unit he can create his own shot he's been getting to the rim pretty well uh, he's a bulldog defender and so you know the Thunder had uh, Samaje Christian last year as their uh, backup point guard and he was probably the worst backup point guard in the NBA uh, he was cut from the roster before the season started and uh, you haven't heard his name since and that's because he's just really not any good and so to have a guy like Ray Felton who's a veteran who's a feisty defender who's a leader in the locker room and just an overall cool guy I think that that's that's been really helpful for the Thunder um, and then Steven Adams I mean Adams has been spectacular on both ends. There, there have been points in the season where I've said Stephen Adams is the best player on the floor just because of the way that he impacts the defensive end. And then uh, his offensive game is also starting to evolve a little bit where he can he can score in a, in a few different ways. And then his role game is kind of back um, from where it was a couple of years ago. So uh, he, he's been great. He's out with a calf contusion for how long i don't know they can probably even hold him out for a couple games against the bulls and mavs uh, and let him heal completely but overall he's been fantastic 
Um, so, and then Jeremy Grant's another guy that plays a lot of minutes. He plays 23 minutes a night. He's played the fifth most minutes on the team and Billy Donovan really likes him. He's, he's a limited player in a lot of ways. He's a super athlete. He's a great shot blocker. Uh, he's not a great rebounder. He's really skinny. They've been playing him as their backup center primarily, and he's probably too skinny to do that on a nightly basis, but he's a great athlete. Uh, he's a really raw offensive player still, but he plays a lot for the Thunder, and he he kind of plays into that defensive style that they want to play real switchy, a lot of length. So the Thunder have some guys. Uh, do they need to go get another guy this season to make a good playoff run? Yeah, they do. Uh, th- they'll be a, they have an open roster spot, so they'll be a buyout candidate team. They'll... I mean, Sam Presti almost always makes a trade at some point during the season. I don't expect that that will be any different this season. So the Thunder need at least one or two more guys uh, to make a really deep playoff run. But they're really trying to see what they've got in this bench group right now. Just a disclaimer, before I ask this next question, I'm a Rockets fan. So you might hear (laughs) some inherent bias in how I'm asking it. Uh, Russell Westbrook last season, obviously historic, something we haven't essentially seen before it's certainly in my lifetime but much of the narrative surrounding his performance last season was that it was necessary for the thunder given the lack of supporting cast that he had the narrative was that he is he was essentially the only player on that team is that recontextualized at all for you given the relative success that victor oladipo and damata sabonis now seem to be having in their new homes in Indiana? Yeah, I mean, that's been a, a question that people have been asking a lot to start the season. I think that there, there's definitely like a more nuanced answer within it that like, uh, you know, like play with Russ, bad. Play with Indiana by themselves, good. You know, like it's not it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, Demonis Sabonis was a rookie last year and he was visibly terrified to be on the court with Russell Westbrook for whatever reason that was. I don't know what it was, but you can go look at his game log. Russell Westbrook sat out um, at a game at Minnesota last year, and Sabonis went for like 20 and 11, and it was really good. Uh, But for whatever reason, when Russ is out there, I don't know if it's like the pressure he feels or or what it was last year, but he struggled to play with Russ, and it was a mental thing. Um, He also hit the rookie wall pretty hard. He could not hit a three. He could not hit a shot halfway through the season, even though he's getting wide open shots. But the Thunder loved him. And they, you know, that the trade they made uh, with Serge Ibaka was not primarily for Victor Oladipo. It was primarily for Demonis Sabonis. They were trying to get Sabonis in that draft, whether it be from a pick from Toronto or a pick from Orlando. That's what they wanted was to bring in Demonis Sabonis because they loved his talent. Another thing with Sabonis is that he is a center and the Thunder had two good centers, two centers that were better than him last season in Adams and Canner. And so they had to, one, put him in a position uh, at the four that he had never played in. And that was really uncomfortable for him. He was, if you watched any of him at Gonzaga, he was a guy that played close to the basket. He's a passer. He can finish well at the rim. He's a great rebounder. But the Thunder pulled him away just because they, they loved his talent enough and they love him as a player enough to, to try to play him at the four. Uh, but you kind of saw that he exploded whenever he was at the center position with the Pacers. And that's kind of, I think that's his ultimate destiny is to be a center. And then Victor Oladipo, Thunder didn't use him very well last season. And some of that could be Russell Westbrook. But to me, a lot of it was that they did never put the ball in his hands. 
and that's with the bench or with Russ. And so it's not necessarily Russell Westbrook. And then they parked him in the corner and guys that sit in the corner are guys that finish plays. They're not guys that are going to go create. And so I think Victor Oladipo Mm -hmm. really wasn't given the opportunity to create like he has been with the Indiana with, with the Thunder last season. He really should have been their quote unquote backup point guard last season, but he, they didn't give him that opportunity until game five of the um, Rocket series, and that was a, a huge mistake. Uh, I think it's more of a Billy Donovan mistake. But yeah, they parked him in the corner, and he was great on corner threes, and that was helpful for the team. But overall, the way they used Oladipo was not great. And also, Victor Oladipo is a young guy who's getting better. He's in the best shape of his life. If you follow him on Instagram, you can tell that he is super ripped uh, <laughs> right now. So they've evolved. And is it hard for some guys to play with Russ? Absolutely. It is difficult for some guys to play with Russell Westbrook. and But I don't think that you can just... A lot of people would just put it all on Russ. Um, but I just think that there's more context within that. One last question before we let you go, Andrew. And thank you so much for joining us today. There was, to say the least, an interesting event that happened in the Thunder game against the Blazers earlier this season where... There was a play where Carmelo Anthony went into Yusuf Nurkic. Mm -hmm. A defensive foul was called on Nurkic. They went to review, and then when they came back, they called a flagrant two offensive foul on Carmelo Anthony and ejected him from the game. What was your reaction when that happened? And have you ever seen something like that before? I've never seen anything like that before. I was just, I just couldn't believe it. it. it was so strange. And if and if you want to think that Mello went up and did that on purpose, first of all, yeah, he probably did because he's trying to draw contact. Like if you play basketball, you know that you're taught to draw contact and try to finish at the rim. He was doing that. I think Nurkic really sold it. I think that the crowd reaction and the way that Nurkic laid on the ground for like five hours really helped uh, <laughs> sell that call. But it was weird. Uh, just to think that Carmelo Anthony can jump up in the air, decide to elbow him in the face, and then also finish the basket. I mean, we might as well give Mel the MVP today because like nobody else in the world can do that. Um, I just don't think that that was his... I don't know that he in, was intentional in trying to like hurt Nurkic and finish a play. I just think that the way they collided was awkward. Uh, if you want to call an offensive foul, that's fine. But to toss him for that, I thought was, was bogus. It was, it was weird. Yeah. I think weird is the best way to put it. Maybe, uh, Westbrook, Billy Donovan and Paul George all got fined $15,000 a piece for their comments post game, criticizing that ejection. Mm -hmm. Uh, just like, as you said, like something you've essentially never seen before. The type of play that happens all the time in the NBA, really, when you're trying to go up and draw contact. So very strange. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. It was a great time learning about the Thunder with you, and hopefully we can have you on again sometime. Sounds good, guys. Thank you. 